today on Abounding Grace from Pastor Ed Taylor. You know, there's a lot of things the culture does. It's not for the man of God. There's a lot of things in our culture, but it's not for the woman of God. Maybe that's just a word for some of you as you dabble in things of the culture. It's not for you. Yeah, but I like it. It's going to hurt you. Oh, I could take it. No, you can't. It won't be what you think. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You laid down your life. That I would be set free. Oh, Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. Perhaps you had a history teacher like I did that would love to say, those who don't learn history are doomed to repeat it. And it's true, isn't it? Thankfully, as we study the Bible, we can learn from both the successes and mistakes of people that have gone on before us. Today on Abounding Grace, we'll learn a thing or two from David's mistakes. At this particular time, he was a polygamist, unequally yoked, and disobeying God, and he would pay dearly for it. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor in 2 Samuel 3. So I'm watching Amazing Race recently. Anybody watch Amazing Race? Okay, one of the things in the Amazing Race, this last episode, is they were in one of the African countries walking with lions, like right next to them. They had to walk with lions to go get some clue, and the only thing that was holding the lions back was another dude with a stick. And I just kept thinking, oh man, I mean, my heart was beating just watching that because I'm ingrained. Like, I don't know what they did to those lions, but I'm sure that if they felt like it, like if they had a meeting in the morning and said, you know what? We know a lot of guys are coming. Let's just eat one today. (laughs) They could. But it struck me. You wouldn't think Amazing Race would be all that spiritual of a thing, but it struck me, it struck me that for a million dollars or the possibility of a million dollars, These guys trusted everybody around them to walk with some very dangerous animals. And of course, it all went through. Because if anything did happen, they didn't put it on TV. So I I, I don't know, like if somebody's walking without a leg or so, I don't know what happened. Um, It was pretty scary. Like it was like, whoa. But, But it struck me. Just for a little bit of an incentive, they were willing to play with the lions. Just a little bit of incentive. Because not all those people are gonna win. Only one couple is gonna win. Not everybody's going to win, so they're just kind of moving on for the race. And I, I began to think, I mean, I mean, for far less, you've been enticed to play with the lion. For far less. And you've been walking around with the lion and some guy maybe with a stick, to like just a little skinny stick. I'm like, what? I don't know, why, lion whisper or what? I don't know. It was just, you've got to watch it now because it was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Just a little stick, and then one was running, and I'm like, whoa, whoa. But, but because of a little guy, somebody, they, got, they had enough... They had enough trust to play with the lions just for a little incentive. They are not only going to get the money. And I just warn you that the devil's real. And I don't care if you've gotten away with walking with the lion lately. I don't care if you've gotten away with this prowling lion. Because there's a greater lion, the Bible says, the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the one that you want to be with. He's the one that you want to be on his side. He's the one that you want to trust. You don't want to settle for any substitutes. 
You don't want to let some worldly enticement lure you in to messing with the devil, taking him on, or, you know, it haven't really caught up to me yet. Key word, yet. And here I just see this contrast between the kingdom of David, the house of David, is growing stronger and stronger. And when you became a believer, you declared war against the devil. You became a part of the family of God. You enlisted as a soldier of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul tells Timothy, fight the good fight. It's a good fight. It's worth the fight. The spiritual war we're involved in is good. It's worth every ounce of our energy. Why? Because we are able to raise the next generation in the ways of the Lord. We are able to come, overcome the victory of sin in our lives and addiction and all the destruction that comes. God is able to restore that which was lost. He's able to help us to get back with all that the enemy tried to rip off. It's a good fight. It's worth it. And I know some of you are tired in the fight. Wait on the Lord. He'll renew your strength. And even this, even as David is, I mean, even in this, because I think there's a, even an insight here that, that God isn't looking for perfection because not all is well in Judah. Did you notice when we read? I know we're not coming in a whole heck of a lot of uh, verses in, in time because we have 34 more verses to go, but I can't miss this. I don't want you to miss this because when you read through your Bible quickly, you miss stuff. You got that David's getting stronger and you have Saul getting weaker, but not all is good in Judah. Did you notice that? David is making some bad decisions. Because what's up with all these kids and all these wives? What are you doing, David? What's going on in your life? David moved there with just two wives. He's already made the polygamous mistake, or you could say bigamous mistake. He's already disobeyed, jot it down. You can write it, Deuteronomy chapter 17. It couldn't be clearer that kings are not to multiply for themselves wives. Jot it down in Genesis 1 and 2. Hey, God ordained marriage. It's one man, one woman, one lifetime. It's not one man and 50 women. It's not woman and 50 men. One man, one woman, one lifetime. It couldn't be clearer. He's sending in more than one way. And I know it's culturally acceptable for kings in the world at this time to multiply wives, but not for the man of God. God. You know, there's a lot of things the culture does. It's not for the man of God. There's a lot of things in our culture, but it's not for the woman of God. Maybe that's just a word for some of you as you dabble in things of the culture. It's not for you. Yeah, but I like it. It's going to hurt you. Oh, I could take it. No, you can't. It won't be what you think. I don't know who I was talking to this week, but we were talking about the consequences of a certain situation and and just thinking back of all the consequences going on and just thinking back, you know, I bet you that's not what, and I said this, I said, I bet you that's not what they expected when they made that first decision. I bet you they didn't expect it to be this bad. I bet you they didn't expect it to be this complicated. I bet you they didn't expect it to be so hard and affect so many people. I bet you they didn't expect me to be involved. I bet you they didn't expect that. Don't let that be your life. Just avoid it altogether. Because David, he's doing what the culture's doing, and it's going to cost him. How do we know? Well, first of all, we just know because the wages of sin is death. But we get some insights here in this text that you might want to mark. First of all, David is clearly a polygamist. We know that. It's common with kings, but not approved by God. Number two, he's marrying foreign women, so he's unequally yoked. 
He's not marrying other Jewish women that have the same faith as him, so he's disobeying God. It's not only being a polygamist and following the culture, but he's also marrying foreign, foreign women, so he's unequally yoked. He's clearly in sin because he's disobeying the direct command of God, according to Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 17, not to multiply wives. But he's also clearly experiencing the patient grace of God. God is being very patient. You go, wait a minute, why is God approving of this? He's not approving of it. He's patiently gracious, just like in your life and mine, waiting for repentance. God does not and has not and will not approve of polygamy or any sin for that matter. As a matter of fact, he prohibits it as sinful. And it will cause David great problems and consequences. Because Ammon, uh, the son, his son Amnon, so if you go back, his son Amnon in verse 2 ends up raping his half-sister Tamar in chapter 13. And then Amnon is murdered by Absalom later, his full brother. And Absalom is mentioned where? Verse 3. Then later Absalom will turn on his dad and rebel in treason to overthrow his dad and his kingdom. These fam- this family situation that's outgrown of his sinful decisions. And it's a good reminder for us that David is not a perfect man. And God still uses him. And it's also good to be reminded that God does not and never approves of his sin, but at the same time uses him in incredible ways. That, that perplexes us a little bit. It perplexes some people so much that they'll use somebody like David as an excuse for their own present sin. Well, you know, if David did it, then I can do it. If God used David, then God will use me. And certainly that's not why the Bible records it. The Bible records it to reveal the frailty of man and to give us the relational aspect that God can use us as well in our frailty. David will pay dearly through the consequences of his sin over time. If we only focused on his errors, then we would follow in his errors. But rather, we have an option to focus on what God has done in his life and the good parts of his life. He loves God. He, he had faith to kill a giant. He danced before the Lord without worrying about what people thought. He wrote psalms both filled with both pain and passion in his life. David loved God. And I choose to learn from his mistakes, but learn more so from his successes the goodness that came from his life. So, with that in mind, verse 6. Now it was so, while there was the war between the house of Saul and the house of David, that Abner was strengthening his hold on the house of Saul. And Saul had a concubine whose name was Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah. So Ishbosheth said to Abner, Why have you gone into my father's concubine? That's an act of treason. And you won't explain that in a moment. But Abner became very angry at the words of Ishbosheth and said, Am I a dog's head that belongs to Judah? Today I show, loyal, I show loyalty to the house of Saul, your father, to his brothers and to his friends, and have not delivered you into the hand of David. And you charge me today with a fault concerning this woman? I mean, he's basically saying, I've, done, I've helped you. I've established you. The peace that you're experiencing and, and the place that you have, it's all because of me. And you're going you're gonna to condemn me for taking what's mine? It wasn't his. So verse 9, he says, May God do so to Abner, and more also if I don't do for David, as the Lord has sworn to him, to transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and set up the throne of David over Israel and over Judah from Dan to Beersheba. And he could not answer Abner another word because he feared him. So pretty much Abner's doing whatever he wants. 
acting as the king, even though Ishbosheth is the face because he's the bloodline. And, and Abner's deciding to consolidate his power by going into his concubine. By going into his concubine, he was establishing himself as more powerful than even the king. And it was an attempt on his part to say, I'm in charge now. Just to kind of come in and do whatever you want to do, no matter who's in charge. And Ishbosheth had enough courage enough to confront him, but I'm sure it flipped out Abner out. I'm sure this was said in great anger. And you can see at the end, he's fearful. And he's not going to say anything else. Now, again, for you note takers, mark the, in verse 10 the phrase, the throne of David. Because that's the first time it's mentioned in, in the Bible, the throne of David. And it's a messianic statement looking forward to that throne of David that Jesus Christ would sit on. And you can reference Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7 later on. Verse 12. Then Abner sent messengers on behalf of David saying, Whose is the land? Saying also, Make your covenant with me, and indeed my hand shall be with you to bring all Israel to you. And David said, Good. I'll make a covenant with you, but one thing I require of you, you shall not see my face until you first bring Mashal, Saul's daughter, when you come to see my face. So David sent his messengers to Ishbosheth, Saul's son, saying, Give me my wife Mashal, whom I betrothed to myself, for a hundred foreskin of the Philistines. And Ishbosheth sent, took her from her husband, from Paltiel, the son of Laish. Then her husband went along with her to Baharim, weeping behind her. So Abner said to him, Go, return. And he returned. And Abner had communicated with the elders of Israel, saying, In time past you were seeking for David to be king over you. Now then, do it. For the Lord has spoken to David, saying, By the hand of my servant David, I will save my people Israel from the hand of the Philistines and from the hand of all the enemies. And Abner also spoke in the hearing of Benjamin. And Abner also went to speak in the hearing of David in Hebron, all that seemed good to Israel and the whole house of Benjamin. So Abner and 20 men with him came to David at Hebron. David made a feast for Abner and the men who were with him. And Abner said to David, I will arise and go and gather all Israel to my Lord the king, that they may make a covenant with you, and that you may reign over all that your heart desires. So David sent Abner away, and he went in peace. So they make a peace treaty. And Abner basically delivers the tribes of Israel over to David. And God is using this man's treacherous ways to fulfill his own purpose, to bring all things together, working all things together, even the work of the enemy, uh, for the good, to bring David over the United Kingdom. And so Abner, he rebels at the quickest opportunity, sees Ishbosheth as the weak man that he is, and wants to unite the kingdom, and he goes and makes a treaty. And you see him, Abner sent messengers in verse 12. David sent messengers back, verse 13. Abner tells Ishbosheth to honor David, uh, verses 17 and 18. Abner confers with the elders of Israel, verse 19. He speaks to the leaders of Benjamin. And then the 20 representatives come to Hebron and they bring Mashal with them. Um, so they went back and forth, you know, wanting to make a peaceful resolution uh, and, and bring this to a place where they would come to conditions of peace. But I thought it was interesting that David asked for Mashal. That was one of his conditions. You know, I'm not going to do it unless you bring Mashal. You remember, those of you that were studying with us, um, how Mashal was given to him and then taken away by King Saul while he was on the run and given to another man. Um, so there was a love, I think, relationship that he had with Mashal, but also, it was also a political decision because by bringing Mashal, Saul's daughter, he was also claiming the kingdom for himself. So David's a real wise man 
Those of you that are military-minded would do well to study David. You would really understand some of his decision-making was not just, not just in the spiritual realm, but also very practical in how they intertwine. Very good. Now, pick up with me in verse 22. At that moment, the servants of David and Joab came from a raid that brought much spoil with them. And Abner was not with David in Hebron, for he'd sent him away, and he'd gone in peace. When Joab and all the troops that were with him had come, they told Joab, saying, Abner the son of Ner came to the king, and he sent him away, and he's gone in peace. Then Joab came to the king and said, What have you done? Look, Abner came to you. Why is it you sent him away, and he's already gone? Surely you realize that Abner the son of Ner came to deceive you. And to know you're going out and you're coming in and to know all that you were doing. And when Joab had gone from David's presence, he sent messengers after Abner and brought him back from the well of Sarah, and David did not know it. Now when Abner returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside in the gate to speak to him privately and there stabbed him in the stomach so that he died for the blood of Asahel, his brother. Again, very treacherous things. Things seem to be in relative peace until Joab finds out that while he was gone, Dave made a, David made a peace treaty with the enemy. And he didn't like it. And perhaps even has this deep-seated bitterness toward Abner for killing his brother. And so there's all kinds of intrigue going on. No doubt upset of his own, of his own brother's murder, he goes after Abner to kill him and doesn't tell David. And it's always a bad thing when you and I, we branch off to do our own thing in opposition to the person that God has put in our lives to lead us. We call that doing things behind your back. You know, doing things David doesn't know anything about. If David would have known, if David would have known that Joah was plotting Abner's murder, David would have shut it down. It was a misrepresentation of the heart of David. But it was also profoundly personal for Joab. And maybe a little competitive too, because if there's a treaty going on, there's no room for two general or two right-hand men. Uh, and Joab was already the one that was coming alongside David. Abner was up with Saul. And perhaps Joab just doesn't see any possibility of, of this working out. Plus, he's upset about his brother. And let me just say, if... If and where bitterness exists in your life, you need to deal a death blow to it because it will cause you to do things that will not reflect the heart of God. Because you can't act in bitterness behind God's back like here with David. God sees all. And so just let the Lord flow in your own heart of uh, a heart of forgiveness, a, a heart of softness. Certainly it may not change the circumstances or the situations, but it will free you from a prison that you never asked to be a part of. It will free you from defiling yourself. And the Bible says the root of bitterness will spring up and defile those that are close to you. It'll cause you to murder people. Certainly, you know, we think about it in our own lives that we wouldn't do that in the physical realm. But certainly Jesus said that murder is much deeper than the physical realm, isn't it? that it can happen with the mouth. Just talking about people and instead of just trusting the Lord, bitterness will mess a person up, you and me, so quickly. Well, afterward, verse 28, David heard it. He said, my kingdom and I are guiltless before the Lord forever of the blood of Abner and the son of Ner. He immediately announces it wasn't him. He speaks the truth publicly. Let it rest on the head of Joab 
and all his father's house. And let there never fail to be in the house of Joab one who has a discharge or a leper, who leans on a staff or falls by the sword or lacks bread. So Joab and Abishai's brother killed Abner because he killed their brother Asael at Gibeon in the battle. Then David said to Joab and to all the people who were with him, tear your clothes and gird yourselves with sackcloth and mourn for Abner. And King David followed the coffin. So they buried Abner in Hebron. And the king lifted up his voice and wept at the grave of Abner. And all the people wept. Verse 33. And the king sang a, a lament over Abner and said, Should Abner die as a fool dies? Your hands were not bound, nor your feet put in fetters. As a man falls before wicked men, so you fell. And then all the people wept over him again. And when all the people came to persuade David to eat food while it was still day, David took an oath saying, God do so to me and more also if I taste bread or anything else until the sun goes down. It was a real morning. Other people kind of, you know, that's when you're, when, you're, when you're going through it, other people might come and have an opinion, but you just need to stick to your guns and just say, no, I'm, I'm mourning. This is, a, uh, this is a serious loss, what's happening in my kingdom. And he says in verse 36, now all the people took note of it and it pleased them since whatever the king did pleased all the people. For all the people in all Israel understood that day that it had not been the king's intention to kill Abner, the son of Ner. And then the king said to the servants, do you not know that a prince and a great man has fallen this day in Israel? And I am weak today, though anointed king. And these men, the sons of Zariah, are too harsh for me. The Lord shall repay the evildoer according to his wickedness. You're listening to Abounding Grace, our Monday edition, as Pastor Ed Taylor continues leading us through 2 Samuel. Ed, today, one thing that you pulled out of the text is bitterness will mess us up big time. And perhaps I would describe someone listening right now. What's the way out for someone who is consumed with bitterness? You know, that's no understatement that bitterness will mess us up big time. It's someone described bitterness like taking the poison in, you know, drinking poison ourselves, expecting someone else to die. And neither one of them is good. It's not good to, to hope someone dies, and it's not good to take in poison. And I find that the way out most often for someone that's consumed with bitterness is forgiveness. It is releasing the person from the offense, from the pain, from the obligation, just releasing them. And, and, and you might think, how can I do that, Ed? Well, the, the way that God has kept me from bitterness with all the wrongs that have uh, come my way and uh, significant, serious wrongs, even in the midst of, of great sorrow and grief and tragedy with the situation surrounding my son, is to remember how much I've been forgiven. Who am I? to hold a grudge? And who am I to hold on to bitterness towards someone when I remember all that I've been forgiven of and all that God has done in my life? Now, you have to understand forgiveness doesn't necessarily mean reconciliation because you can forgive someone, but they will not stop sinning against you. Jesus even spoke on that on more than one occasion. If someone comes to you and sins and you forgive them and they come again and does the same sin and you forgive them, and he says, if you, what are you to do? You're to keep forgiving. And, and yet reconciliation requires repentance. And so sometimes people get messed up on that. Well, I forgave them, but the relationship isn't healed. Well, that's because the other person, God hasn't dealt deep, deeply and thoroughly with the other person. But for you, you can have a clean account before the Lord. 
And so forgiveness, if forgiveness is a, an issue that you want to learn more about, just email us, uh, go to our website and email me from the website and we'll send you a PDF on the topic of forgiveness, a little pamphlet that we use here that will totally bless you. So go to calvaryaurora.org and, and email us and we'll send you the PDF. Thanks, Ed. And friend, today's message is called Battling for What is Right. Request the CD for just $2 by calling us right now at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or go online to calvaryaurora.org. Again, we're at calvaryaurora.org. Here in the month of May, we've picked out an excellent book written by Roy Hessian called The Calvary Road. In it, he teaches that it's through brokenness, humility, and confession that we can prepare our hearts to receive the fullness God wants for us. If you long for revival and power in your life, this is a must-read. And we'll send you a copy with our thanks for a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. And please remember, it's through your financial support that we're able to come to you day by day on this station. Your gift, whatever the size, would be greatly appreciated and put to good use. Reach us toll-free at 877-30-GRACE or go online to calvaryaurora.org. Tomorrow on Abounding Grace, we find David is king over a unified Israel for the first time. Come back Tuesday when we'll continue our study of 2 Samuel. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Chapel, Aurora.